Welcome to episode 121. Trevor and I are in lockdown at the Speakeasy Studio, and Leo is live via Battle Light from his cavernous crypt in beautiful downtown Eagle Rock. Eagle Rock. Yeah! <laughs> I was hoping you're going to say that like the Crypt Keeper. Oh, I can't oh, do that voice, man. <laughs> Lauren, you no. like live via Battle Light. <laughs> Maybe you should have done that. Normally, we have guests in our studio, but we've been keeping the horror-centric convos going by hanging with them remotely from the creature comfort of their own homes. Such as this visit we had from star of the Emmy-nominated and award-winning hit shows Schitt's Creek and 12 Monkeys, you know her, you love her, as Stevie Emily Hampshire. She tells us all about the new streaming platform Quibi and Sam Raimi's 50 States of Fright an anthology horror series that she's a part of for a new episode called Scared Stiff, available now. Quibi condenses awesome bite-sized cinema quality content on the go. A time of release, if you sign up, by April 30th, they're offering a free 90-day trial. She talks about her time at the Rosebud Motel, her stints in horror and genre, and teases a new horror film she is a part of and the Stephen King series Chapelweight currently in production. Go see Stevie at the front desk. She'll see that you get our best suite. I am Emily Hampshire, and you are checking in to another frightening episode of The Boo Crew. Growing up, we would make things up all the time just to spook each other. You know how it is with local legends. Every town has one. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a celebrated actor who's had a truly exciting career starring in award-winning films like 2006's Snow Cake alongside Alan Rickman and Sigourney Weaver, the 2013 futuristic zombie thriller The Returned, The Death and Life of John F. Donovan with Natalie Portman, Kathy Bates, and Susan Sarandon, and countless other movie and TV projects. The common thread being that they have been remarkably impactful experiences. She starred as Jennifer Goins, reinventing the character that earned Brad Pitt his first Oscar nomination in four seasons of one of the best shows in the sci-fi network's history, 12 Monkeys. Then there is her now iconic portrayal of Stevie in all six seasons of the pop culture phenomenon that has garnered over 100 nominations, including four primetime Emmys and won more than 35 awards, nestling its way into all of our hearts, Eugene and Dan Levy's hilarious Shit's Creek. Her performance choices in all that she does are brilliantly measured and deeply interesting and watchable. Part of the joy of experiencing her work is that she gives a viewer a real enthusiasm and sense of adventure of not knowing what she is going to do next as we cling to her every move. She's part of an amazing collection of storytellers who are bringing Sam Raimi's 50 States of Fright series to life on the new streaming platform Quibi. Here to talk about it, we are honored to welcome one of its featured stars, Emily Hampshire. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my God, that introduction is insane, guys. You just made my, you didn't just make my quarantine, you made my year. Whoa. Crazy. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for that. Hey, Emily, thank you so much for all that, that you do and all that you continue to do. It's, it's seriously a joy to watch you. Oh, thanks. Well, I feel really uh, like I, I don't want to be like put that aside. I appreciate that compliment, but um, I have been realized I have been lucky enough to be in like great content, <laughs> like to be part of Shit's Creek and and to be part of now this Fifty States of Fright. You know, from coming from Sam Raimi, I, I the only thing I could do is. Mess it up, mess it up. We'll go into that in a sec, but we want to also mention this because today's a very big deal at the time of recording. There's a bittersweet event for you tonight as the season finale of Schitt's Creek will air. Now, considering everything going on in the world, making a large get-together might not be as possible to get together a watch party or anything tonight. So what are your plans for experiencing it tonight? Oh, that's very funny. Uh, as right when we started our interview, I just saw a text pop in from Dan saying, maybe we should do a watch party. That's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, everything. So I don't want to say that's for sure happening, but we are trying to organize that. We are definitely trying to zoom that into um, to, to happen. So, yeah, other like if that doesn't happen, we will definitely all be watching and um and kind of watching social media and responding to people and yeah i know it's a lot of people have written us being like they're so sad and they they don't know if they can watch it and because it's this horrible like ending for them but i can guarantee that a it was harder on me <laughs> i lost a show <laughs> um my friends but also b it again has created the perfect ending and i didn't want it to end i don't think any of us did we like genuinely like each other but i now that i know the ending i have so much respect for him for for what he did because i think all the fans will be so satisfied he did right by the characters and the audience and um yeah, I, I just feel really lucky that I was part of something that ended right, too. Usually as, when you're on a show, like you don't get is the luxury of knowing when you're going to end. A lot of time you get canceled um, and, and you just have to wrap it up. And so I think like having the luxury to end it right, even though it you know only became popular in its kind of last season. And so a lot of people wanted Dan to continue this. But he really had a huge respect for the story he wanted to tell and the audience. And he wanted to do right by that. And I think he did. My mom group is obsessed with this show and everybody <laughs> loves it so much. And they think it's hysterical. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a fan question from one of my moms, Penny. Uh, she wanted to know. Oh, um, Penny. Yeah, Penny, Lamore, they, Jen, we're all huge fans. But Penny wanted to know if you see Stevie getting out of Shit's Creek and leaving Rosebud Motel. And what would Stevie do if Stevie was not part of the Rosebud Motel? Oh, well, so what I find really interesting about Stevie is that I would have on any other show, even when I joined this show, I would have thought that the character of Stevie was somebody who like at the beginning is the kind of sarcastic 
person in this small town and and that she breaks out and becomes something better than this this small town kind of thing, which is usually the the kind of way the story usually goes. But what Dan did from the beginning was his two mandates were there will be no homophobia in Shit's Creek. And the town and anyone in the town will never be the butt of a joke or like looked looked as uh, down upon as less than. And I think that's so important for Stevie's journey because uh, now that, you know, we're nearing before almost at the very, very end, I realized that she kind of like grew in this Benjamin Button-ish way. Like she was this hard shell that instead of, uh, as most characters grow and uh, acquire new characteristics and stuff, she kind of like peeled away these layers and revealed like inside there's like a real girl in there. And so I think I can't tell you, I can't tell you Penny um, (laughs) if she gets out of the town or not. But I do think that Stevie's journey is kind of like the the Wizard of Oz of knowing it was always it was always in her own backyard and it was always in her. And I think that moment kind of happens in Cabaret, where it, you know the original Cabaret song, uh, the Maybe This Time song, is about maybe this time I'll get a man, maybe this time he'll love me. And but for Stevie, it's maybe this time I'll win, maybe this time I'll be as great as everyone around me thinks I am. And, um, and I think that is the best answer I can give you about if she gets out or not. Um, but I, and as to what she would do without the motel. Oh my God. I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like the town and the motel is such a character in, in the story that I can't even, I still can't even imagine her without it that I took home part of the motel i wow. um we all took something when we left and and i took there was this giant stag painting behind tv yeah that was literally like it's it's huge it looks like six feet tall yeah so it's now in my 500 square foot apartment condo in toronto in the office of that 500 square foot apartment so that's like maybe 200 square feet <laughs> and it's like basically it's my entire office in there so, that's amazing that's so yeah, cool i have that <laughs> so i don't think she could it, it it made her who she is and i think like when johnny um mr rose joy like kind of joined forces with her and also became a father figure to her i i think it was also for her joining having like a chosen family in the roses and the motel was home so I don't think even if she left it, you know how you never leave your childhood home? Like you leave it, but it's always the place you remember going like up the stairs. And I don't know. I do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, those are bad answers. I'm sorry. Pauline. No, those are I great. Tonight. <laughs> this is amazing. Now, looking back at your many incredible moments on that show, it has been said is public knowledge. It's Stevie Budd is one of the best written women on television. And I, I, I'll take it one step further. She's actually one of the best performances of any actor, male or female, on television, let's be honest. Now, from singing maybe this time to doing the pitch to your many great dialogue scenes and your relationship with David, including getting stoned, is there a few that stand out to you that became game changers for you as an actor? paying you to be this complimentary of me. If someone, <laughs> I feel like someone is, and if that person 
Thank you. <laughs> but anyways, so yes, there's, I mean, the standout moment for me as an actor, 100% without question was the cabaret moment, just because it was so like, so meta for me, because I've been an actor since I was 12. And had anyone asked me what my dream role was, and people had, it's actually out there in press that like, they're like, what's your dream role? And it was Sally Bowles in Cabaret. I'd always wanted to play that part. And Dan didn't even know that he, but he did know like first season I said, Oh, can we do a musical on the show? Cause I say that on every show that I'm on. Cause I love musicals. Um, and I am not a professional singer or dancer. And that's why I table it on the shows I'm on because maybe I could get away with it there. Cause uh, I'll commit. Um, but I never in a million years thought Stevie would be part of any musical production other than being like the stage hand. And so when I read that script where not only was I getting my dream come true, it was better than I could have even asked for or imagined because it was, I got to do it as Stevie, which was so much better. A, because I couldn't, I couldn't mess it up because Stevie didn't have to be perfect. And, um, and also, like I guess I just said before, it's, a, it's such a different moment when that song is sung by Stevie and it's so empowering, like self-empowering. And also my favorite part of that whole um, scene is when David um, Dan's character, I mean, they're very similar. <laughs> David says, um, that's my best friend. I die at that um, because it kind of encompasses everything that's so good about the show and good about that relationship is that they, they always cheer each other on. And even when David and Patrick like got together, you would think, I would think that like, Oh, that means I'm going to be left out and he's going to love someone more than me. And, but he is so selfless in this way that she puts David first and and is happy for him, even though that it does mean that she's going to be not his number one anymore. So yeah, that just, that scene just kills me. Also the towels, when I bring him the towel, it's that whole episode is kind of everything to me. So I, when, when Stevie brings him the towels that she monogrammed, Oh my God, I'm going to die. You guys, this is killing me. Well, well, we don't want to make you sad, but let's, let's move over to horror and genre and your ability to move so eloquently in that space. And I, I direct anyone who has not seen it to Google 12 monkeys. You don't know Jack season one, episode two, and you will fall in love with Emily's performance. It's a remarkable, breathtaking job. Actually, one of your first real scenes in 12 Monkeys. How did you get yourself to that space in particular? What's the energy like on a day like that? Oh, well, gosh, that's really interesting that you asked that because so I shot 12 Monkeys at the same time as Shit's Creek. And like for the first four seasons, it was I would do Shit's and then I'd have a month off and then I would do. 12 monkeys, except for the last season they overlapped and I was literally shooting just during the day, sleeping in a van and 12 monkeys at night. But um, my first day on 12 monkeys was the entire second episode, which is my first, is like Jennifer Goins' first episode. Everything in that episode was my first day. Whoa. And I had never done, I was so spoiled coming from Schitt's Creek, which is such an anomaly of a show, the way we shoot it. Like, 
it is a family. Eugene wants to go home for dinner. Um, we we work till maybe seven thirty. It's like we have the same. We have two directors that switch out, and then I go into this show that is an hour, essentially a drama, um, a sci-fi drama, and with a new director that I hadn't met, and we we started, and I. I was kind of used to from the audition process, the creator, Terry Metallis had told me, he's like, you can just like, you can have the freedom to do whatever you want and like make it your own and stuff. Cause there was a lot of improv in, in during the audition stuff. And my character is crazy. So it's hard to kind of like keep in a straight line, but I just remember that it was just like this moment that kind of was really a learning curve for me. The Boo Crew will be right back. American International presents Abby, the story of a woman possessed. Grab her arms and hold her. Abby, starring William Marshall as the exorcist. I command you to vacate this body now. And Carol Speed as Abby. Can anyone stop her? Can anyone help her? Can anyone save her soul? Oh, God, Abby! Abby, the story of a woman possessed. Rated R. Piggybacking off that, uh, Manuel Carbella directed you as Kate, the Doctor, and the Returned, which was an original take on the zombie subgenre. What opportunities do you find exist as an actor in the genre space that make it compelling in terms of bringing those types of stories to life in regards to performance and things you can push? Well, it's so interesting to ask this during this time, because first of all, like 12 Monkeys is literally about a virus that wipes out the entire civilization, yeah, exactly. like most of it. Right. So I think a lot of people are actually like Contagion and 12 Monkeys are doing well right now. Um, and and also the, the return is again a kind of apocalyptic movie like that. But set, what, I, what drew me to like both those kinds of things is it's not so, it's, it's at the time, I can't believe I'm saying this now, but at the time I was like, this feels like it could happen. These things, like it just, you know, you go tip the scale a little further and this, because in, um, in the returned, it's kind of uh, the zombie whole transformation is, is seen through a virus. Like it's a virus you get that, that makes you into a zombie. And it's all done from a really grounded point of view. And that grounded point of view back then that seemed very like black mirrorish, like a step in the future is our now. So I feel like uh, I can't believe that and or I brought this on. I somehow <laughs> It's not Emily Hampshire's fault. <laughs> I, I'm patient zero. But yeah, it is crazy that this uh, so I like genres like that in terms because I do like real like the stuff I watch is very well it's limited to forensic files, dateline and uh, murder documentaries. So I like keeping it real close to reality, but then taking it one step further into what if. And um, I think both those shows do that. But then of course, 50 States of Fright 
I just went uh, completely all the way with that because hopefully the stuff that happens in that show won't ever come to pass in real life. Let's talk about Quibi, the new streaming service at time of recording. This service just launched today. Can you talk about what it is? Oh my God. Sorry, but like, We've just been talking about, so Shift ends today and Quibi launches today. Right, yes. I don't know. So, I, I'm just making this connection now. I don't know what the connection is, but it means something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyways, yeah, so it launches today. And uh, the 50 States of Fright that I'm in is a horror anthology series that brought to you by Sam Raimi. Um, he produced the whole thing and, um, and directed the first episode. And it's just really, I think, again, strangely timely, like for this new platform to come out right now that the platform is, is kind of the first like mobile media technology where it's, and Quibi stands for like, quick bite, which I love. I also think it's very in track with 50 States of Fright, quick bite, literal bite. I think that's so where we are right now that we need entertainment like that at least i do i find it hard to there's like so much content on netflix and on every new streaming service that um i just get overwhelmed in trying to choose anything i'm also i have a fear of commitment so i find it hard to watch binge an entire series that has like 10 one hour episodes that's like a lot of my life and I can't, so a lot of people can do it. I admire them. I am definitely the audience for Quibi because having a story given to me in less than 10 minutes on my phone that looks like a movie, that's the thing I did love about it. When I saw um, my uh, 50 States of Fright and then my episode, um, I was like, oh my God, it's like, the most beautifully shot thing I've ever done. It's so beautiful and it's on my phone. So yeah, I think it's really cool. And I think it's a great thing to have now while we're all in quarantine. What were some of the challenges, if any, in filming for this Quibia short episodic format? Was it treated as any other regular production? Yeah. You know, I thought it would have been because it's so short. I would have thought that it would have, you know, obviously reduced the shooting time and stuff, but, um, they treat it like shooting a regular series. And that, I think that's what makes it so high quality because there weren't, at least from my end. Yeah. I, it was, I was surprised at how normal a shooting day it was and how like they had the best of the best um, in terms of crew. And uh, my director, Ryan Spindel, um was just such a pro and, yeah, so yeah, there wasn't any, which is a good question because you would think, right? Because it's for a mobile device. And however, I don't know if there's some technology thing they did that I don't know about. Right. I don't know about, but I could barely get on Zoom. Like it's been a whole, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a whole week of learning how to get on Zoom. I mean, even a conference call, you should have seen me trying to dial into this. <laughs> well, I you, don't know. you have to figure out zoom because you got that Shit's creek watch party tonight you gotta <laughs> you gotta jump on yeah. <laughs> so i mean uh, you know obviously we, we've watched uh, your episode scared stiff what do you think 
exists as a plus in telling a horror story in this length of time, like 10 minutes. It seems to be so effective. What, what makes it so effective? So you just asking that question, I'm like, you're right. It is so effective. And like, how is it that effective? And, and like, I'm just thinking of this now because it's like, what does make it like that? I wonder if it's just like, well, first of all, I think the storytelling has to be so tight and spot on. And I also think we've become used to, and more and more, we've built this, this kind of um, a brain that needs, needs fast stuff. Like Instagram, there's the word Insta in it. And like instant, everything in an instant. And our brains have changed. As like, it's funny, I'm, I'm doing this remake of an old show from the 70s now. And watching that show it's a brilliant show and it was like uh, of its time and also it's very still very timely but the pace of it doesn't work anymore because we've changed like we're just too used to next 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 and um i think what this does is actually get uh, get you out of the the party when when you're having the greatest like the thing that i think dan wanted to do with with shits is you tell something great and you leave the party before it's boring. Um, I know there's a saying for that, that I'm not saying, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, like, so the 10, and anything under 10 minutes, you're getting the best. You're getting everything you need to know. And so there's no like filler. I mean, I'm just, I'm guessing at this right now because I think it's so true that it's so effective, especially horror. So, I don't know. That's my guess. I'd like to know, though, if you have an answer. No, I love it. I, I, what, the, you know, just quickly, I think that any edges or lines that get blurred in that short amount of time gives a viewer the opportunity to fill in those lines with what makes them scared. Oh, yeah. and, and it makes it like almost that's a more visceral experience, you know? Yeah, that's so true because I find that with horror, like, if you don't show me the monster right away, I'm filling in the like nightmare of what my monster is. And I think in horror, if you do that well, like, yeah, I think that's a really good answer. After having done genre projects like the return and the scared stiff episode for 50 States of Fright, do you see yourself wanting to delve deeper into the horror genre in terms of acting? Well, what's really funny is that I, right after uh, we ended shit, I went right away and shot a horror movie in Montreal that it was my first time executive producing. And it's, um, it's a movie called the home that's right now being cut. It's still in uh, post-production, which has paused, but anyways, but yeah, I actually, I started to love the horror genre of films like hereditary and a quiet place. And again, like stuff that is kind of, you could it's the character based and there's a reality to it that, that can take you that next step into horror and believable horror. So yeah, I, I am actually doing something like that. I, um, it's a, a movie about a woman who has postpartum psychosis and is ultimately trapped in her house. And um, just, it goes, it goes south real fast, <laughs> um, but it, it was so well written and it was so just something I love. It also had a lot of humor, which is something I always look for in any drama or any horror. And I found that in, 
in Fifty States of Fright, like my episode, Scared Stiff, really made me laugh first and then be scared, which I love. Like I, I found, well, you guys would, I hope you guys would know this because I've talked to other people about this and everybody's like a millennial and doesn't know this. Not saying that you're not millennials, but you sound like you know about horror stuff. So do you know Tales from the Crypt? Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Thank God. Somebody knows Tales from the Crypt. I can't believe no one would know. Yeah, that's wild. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, God, I am so old. Um, (laughs) But, so I used to watch Tales from the Crypt, and when I read my episode of Scared Stiff, I was like, oh, I feel like my part's kind of like the Crypt Keeper, like the person who tells the story yes. at the beginning, and then you go within the story. And I just loved that idea. It also, I still want to play the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> I'd like to play the Crypt Keeper. Screw Tales from the Crypt. Let's go back. OG, Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is what we all grew up on, and you were on two episodes of that. Oh my God. Yes, I was. That was the first thing I ever did. I was on two episodes playing two different parts. Like, uh, first one, I was girlfriend number one. Second one, I was girlfriend number two, which isn't the trajectory you should go in as an actor. You should like try to, it's the reverse is better. But I will never forget my first day on set. Uh, I had to, because people have now posted this on YouTube. So it's very weird to see myself do this. I'm 12 years old. Um, I, I was like the girlfriend who came over while the brother, little brother and his older brother were babysitting or his older brother was babysitting, whatever. Anyways, the point was I was supposed to kiss him. And um, I remember going to the director and being like, cause I wanted just, I, everything was about being professional. Like I was, need to be the most professional so i was like okay so do you want like what kind of kiss would you like would you like uh with tongue, without, uh for how long and i mean i can just imagine now how horrified this director must have been um uh, because i just really wanted to you know give him what he wanted <laughs> Oh my god that's amazing yeah and then i also don't remember after like um, picking up cables, like helping the crew. And they're like, no, no, don't do that. Oh, that's the best. Girl, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it, what, one more thing. Is it true that you're going to be seen in a new Stephen King adaption? Yes. Oh my God. I love talking to you guys. I know <laughs> everything. And like, and I would assume you're into Stephen King. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So yes, it's, um, it's, it's well, it's now called Chapel Wait, and um, it's based on a short story called Jerusalem's Lot that Stephen King wrote, which is kind of a prequel to Salem's Lot. And basically, I was on my way to go shoot this, so excited to be in a corset in 1850s after all that CD plaid. And yeah, it's such a, I love my part so much. It's such a cool part. Like, basically, uh, I'm like the 1850s Stephen King of the story. I'm a writer and like went to this school called the um, Hollyoke, which is a real school and this like real progressive feminist college. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to do it. I can't wait to find out when the end of the world will stop ending. Oh, well, Dr. Kate, you got to get your Dr. Kate scrubs on and, and solve this virus. <laughs> <laughs> We're oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Emily, thank you so much. I'm sorry we went over our time, but we just love talking to you so much. Are you kidding? 
I, I listen, I'm going to probably call you guys when I'm feeling like down, no self-esteem. I'm going to call you guys and be like, hey, uh, can you read me that bio again? Um, <laughs> thank you guys so much. Hey, you know what? I got to run because I want to hit the pawn shop before it closes. I owe my crack dealer a ton of money. So you seem like you have this under control, though. So that was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 121. Special thanks to our guest, Emily Hampshire. Follow her at Emily Hampshire on Instagram and Twitter and check out her episode, Scared Stiff, part of Sam Raimi's 50 States of Friday anthology horror series available now on Quibi. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, stay safe, stay healthy, and sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.